Hi, and welcome aboard on this wild, famous aviator tall tale to our new listeners and to all my returned friends. I am Joe Cummings, striving to keep history alive on this podcast, Tall Tales Uncovered. Please share this podcast and do a rating review on Apple or whatever platform you're using to spread our Oklahoma stories. Well, we are all gathered around inside on this October day with the temperature at 95 outside. Never know about the weather in Oklahoma. I thank each one of you for coming. Paul, you emailed me during this COVID spell questioning the story of a pallbearer told me about a famous early aviator being arrested here in Oklahoma. As you all know, I'm a retired funeral director seeking out the tall tales pallbearers have told me over the years. This quest has been a group effort, and I need to thank Sally and Pat for helping me to go through all the old papers and information. It turned out to be a tall tale indeed. Let's all journey back to Oklahoma in 1937. On February 20th, 1937, Judge Roy W. Cox agreed to hold court on a Saturday concerning Mr. and Mrs. George Putnam who were arrested by a Blackwell police officer for driving an outrageous 50 miles an hour through Blackwell. Mrs. Putnam was driving. Mrs. Putnam told the judge I was going rather faster than I should, I guess. I did not know you had speed laws here. She further stated she was driving a borrowed car. The judge asked, well, where are you from? New York City was her reply. The judge said, New York City, where are you going? She said, California. The judge paused for a minute and then said, you're going to California in a borrowed car? Her reply was, no, I'm going in an airplane. The judge said, so you are a flyer. Well, there may be no speed limit above Blackwell, Mrs. Putnam, but here on the ground, we have certain regulations. Mrs. Putnam explained, I was glad to see Blackwell from 12,000 feet up. I came in much faster yesterday because my plane lands at about 100 miles an hour. I guess it's rather hard for me to control ground speed when I get into a car. The judge stated that she was a visitor and was not familiar with their regulations, so she would be fined the minimum amount of $1 in court costs, which totaled up to $3.50. The judge asked Mr. Putnam, do you assume responsibility for her, meaning keep the speed limit? Mr. Putnam answered, no, sir, I'm just a relative. The truth was then revealed to a shocked judge as he found out that Mrs. A.E. Putnam was Amelia Earhart Putnam, who had earlier been given a 10-foot key to the city of Blackwell by Mayor O.A. Rafferty and a hearty welcome from Ed Martin, Secretary of the Blackwell Chamber of Commerce. She had stayed at the Blackwell Larkin Hotel. Ina Daly Eagle reported that Amelia had been grounded in Blackwell because of heavy dust. Well, a near riot erupted in the courtroom as apologies were loudly offered to the demeaned national treasure, with everyone tripping over each other in the uproar. Dewey Mark, 
manager of the airport, threw a world-class hissy fit. The commotion was so loud that it took several minutes for everyone to become quiet. George Putnam then revealed that he had earlier called Blackwell to have Amelia arrested for speeding as a practical joke. Only he and the patrolman were the lone conspirators. It had obviously gotten way out of control. Amelia Earhart told her husband, I have a mind to take off without you. Turning to the courtroom crowd, she asked, how much is the bus fare to Burbank, California for one? Everyone laughed and all was forgiven. So the tall tale was true. Amelia Earhart was arrested in Oklahoma, but there was more. For Amelia, we discovered, had visited Enid six years earlier. Amelia Earhart flew into Enid on June 15, 1931 at 9.10 a.m. She had taken off from Newark, New Jersey in May on her first transcontinental auto gyro tour. The carrying PCA-2 auto gyro craft was specially ordered for her by the Beechnut Packing Company to promote their chewing gum. The PCA-2 was the first rotary wing aircraft to achieve type certification in the United States. Many believed the design of the aircraft was dangerous, but Amelia was out to prove them wrong. It looked like an airplane with helicopter blades. It was capable of vertical landings and could pose motionless in midair. It had a 300 horsepower engine and had a top speed of 110 miles per hour. Just two days before flying over Abilene, Texas, her auto gyro failed to attain sufficient momentum during a demonstration. She crash landed the plane in an area away from the onlookers and walked away unharmed. Earhart took a private plane to Oklahoma City where another auto gyro sent from Philadelphia was waiting for her to continue the tour. Amelia was an American aviation pioneer and author. She had just set the world record altitude of 18,415 feet in April and had been the first woman to do a transatlantic flight on June 17, 1928, as she accompanied pilot Lewis Gordon. She did not know it yet, but in 1932, she would make a nonstop solo transatlantic flight and the first woman to do so. She would receive the U.S. Distinguished Flying Cross for her valor. Earhart set seven women's speed and distance records in a variety of aircraft. She was the first woman in person to fly both across the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. One lifelong friendship she would form was with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. In 1933, Amelia and First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt were at a White House event when Earhart suggested they abandon their dinner guests to take a joyride in a plane to Baltimore and back. Both took turns flying the plane, with Amelia still dressed in a white silk gown and gloves. Roosevelt said, it does mark something, doesn't it, when a girl in an evening dress and slippers and piloted a plane at night. Pilots from all over arrived at the Enid Airport to see the autogyro, including Hugh E. Zimmerman of Omega, 
who flew his own handmade airplanes. Amelia gave a demonstration of how her windmill plane operated at the Enid Municipal Airport. She flew over Enid, but had to land as a rainstorm was approaching. At noon, she was a guest of the Enid Rotary Club at their weekly luncheon. Waldo G. Olick was president of the club. In the news of the day, it was mentioned that the courthouse on Enid Square is being torn down for being heavily damaged in the January fire. Also, the brand new 15-story Broadway Tower with its offices and shops is officially open for business. All members of the Enid Air Club were at Rotary. President Oleg introduced Amelia, then handed the program over to them. Amelia's Earhart remarked almost entirely to aviation, according to Enid Daily Eagle. She went into detail explaining the autogyro and how it works. Her tour was to test the plane under all conditions over sand, mountains, and in all kinds of weather. It was a laboratory test of the plane. Amelia said, this is a mighty fine country to fly over. Enid can be seen for a long distance in the town itself. Well, it's beautiful. You have fine landing fields and you can see them when you fly over. I hate to fly back east, but unfortunately, I have a husband there. Everyone laughed. Two any girls who were student pilots and had just soloed, Marjorie Cross and Geneva McGee, were introduced before meeting Amelia. While in Enid, Amelia was a guest of Rotarian C.C. Chad McKnight, who had the envious job of providing transportation and representing Enid to her. She next went to the Greet the members of the Oklahoma Lions Convention and area residents at the floor of the Hotel Youngblood. Everyone remarked she had a very friendly handshake and such a charming smile. She mentioned she much preferred her normal clothes to the flying apparel she wore most of the time. She actually sewed her own clothes and she became involved in women's fashions. She had her own active living line that was wrinkle-proof and washable with simple, natural line. Her clothes were sold in 50 stores, such as Macy's, nationwide. She also had a luggage line and a wide range of other promotional items. Later in the afternoon, she took George Zacharias, member of the Enid Park Board, who was an aviator of the Lafayette Group and Colonel Rickenbacker Squad during World War I, for a ride over Enid in the auto gyro. Amelia Earhart left Enid at 3.22 in the afternoon. She refused to accept a check from the Enid Air Club for her appearance in Enid, according to the Enid Morning News. On May 20th, 1937, Amelia Earhart piloted a Purdue Lockheed Model 10 Electra make a circumnavigational flight of the globe. On the morning of July 2nd, 1937, at 7.20 a.m., Amelia reported that her position at 20 miles southwest of the Nakamura Islands with this message. We must be on you, but we cannot see you. Fuel is running low. Been able, been unable, can't reach you by radio. 
We were flying at 1,000 feet. Contact was lost and immediate search began. Despite the efforts of 66 aircraft and nine ships, an estimated $4 million rescue authorized by President Roosevelt, the fate of Amelia Earhart remains to this day a mystery. On January 5, 1939, Earhart was declared legally dead by the Superior Court in Los Angeles. In 1929, Amelia Earhart called for a meeting of all female pilots. 99 attended the first meeting, which became the name of the group, the 99s. Their purpose was to provide mutual support and advancement of women pilots. Amelia was elected as the group's first president. Currently, there are 155 chapters worldwide, including a virtual chapter, Ambassadors 99. The international headquarters is in Oklahoma City at Will Rogers World Airport with the 99's Museum of Women Pilots, which has the largest collection of historical women aviator artifacts in the world. The 99's also the owner custodians of Amelia's childhood home in Atchison, Kansas. It is listed on the National Register of Historic Places and has returned to its turn-of-the-century top condition by the 99. Wow, well, that was quite a tall tale. Thanks again, Paul, Sally, and, and Pat, for your help in this story. I have a special thank you to Heather Roche, director of the Amelia Earhart Birthplace Museum, for the picture of Amelia Earhart in the autogyro plane. Well, I guess it's time for us to head home. Thank you so much for listening in. Please share this podcast to keep our history alive. See you next time on Tall Tales Uncovered.